midfield looking for a shot. Rodgers sending it deep downfield, and Lazard brings it in. It's a first round. Take that. I think there was a lot of good on both sides of the ball, and then there was some stuff that we definitely have to clean up if we want to be the team that we think we're capable of being. Sanders in motion to read the keep it a fumble, and the Packers have it with a chance to run for Zedarius Smith. He's brought it down at the 46-yard line. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go! Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Showing up to work on Monday after a Packers win, it's not bad at all, right? Show up to work, smile on your face. Oh, stack of paperwork? Don't care. Oh, I have all these emails I got to get to. Don't care. Packers are 3-0. and And just going about your Monday is so much better when the Packers win on Sunday, right? We got a great Monday night football game tonight to look forward to. I'm in a great mood today. I hope you are as well. Vikings fans, yeah, I'm sorry about the loss. Bears fans, we'll get to you. I'm just so happy to have football back. We're almost a quarter of the way through the season. It's pretty crazy, right? We wait all summer, and it feels like football will never start, and then once it does, it's just this mad dash week after week after week, and it's a blast. And I'm excited to dig in today. The Packers beat the Saints on Sunday Night Football last night. 37-30. to 30. A win on Sunday Night Football. There is nothing better. There's nothing better because... Everybody is watching. Everybody has now wound down their Sunday to gather around and watch Sunday Night Football. And everybody leads their show with it on Monday. So every TV and radio show leads by talking about Sunday Night Football. So when your team wins on Sunday night, you can just bask in the glory. You can wake up in the morning and you know everybody's going to be talking about it. There's nothing better than a win on Sunday Night Football. In fact, I think the only bad part about a win on Sunday Night Football is it takes me a little while to go to sleep because I'm so fired up. I'm so excited that I need to take a walk around the block, listen to the post game a little bit, calm myself down, take a cold shower, I don't know, whatever whatever you do to get to bed, drink some warm milk. I had to do all that last night in order to finally get to sleep. It was a blast. It was a fun game, back and forth. We have a lot to talk about today, and I'm excited you're here. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I hope your week is off to a good start. If you want to join the show, you absolutely can. Don't wait for an invite or a prompt, or a question, just give me a call or shoot me a text, 608-796-2558. That's the talk and text line. The Wisco Sports Show, presented by Dark Fox Enterprises and the Eagle's Nest. Just a couple of days left to get over to the Eagle's Nest on Campbell Road to get that 15% off that they are offering you. All you got to do is use promo code GRANT. So if you're dining in, just tell your server or your bartender, hey, I'd like to use promo code GRANT. They'll give you a wink and a nod, and you get the deal. If you're ordering on the phone for takeout, just make it clear on the phone. I want to use promo code GRANT. That's all you got to do. Or use the code when you order online at ordereaglesnest.com. And I would argue that the best way to make up for missing Oktoberfest, if you didn't get out and celebrate, you played it safe, you stayed home, I thank you for that. But if you want to get a little taste of a celebration, if you want to stretch out that Oktoberfest feeling for just a couple more hours, well, stop by the Eagles Nest. Have a drink and get some food to take home or watch Monday Night Football tonight at the Eagles Nest. Amazing game. Great excuse to go. Uh, eat at the Eagle's Nest and save 15% while you're there. That deal's only going for a couple of more days, so we thank the Eagle's Nest uh, for giving us that amazing deal. Let's dive into this Packers win. I know the Brewers made the playoffs, and 
We'll get there. I don't have a lot to say about it. I think we've said everything that needs to be said about this Brewers team, but we will talk about it. That's coming up after 5 o'clock. Other than that, I want to talk football, football, football. Mostly Packers today. We'll do the Vikings for a couple minutes. We'll do the Bears for a couple of minutes. But I want to start with Sunday Night Football last night, as most shows do on Monday, which is why it's amazing when your team wins on Sunday night. You can just bask in it. After the Packers beat the Vikings and the Lions and started 2-0, there were some things that we knew for certain. There were things that Packers fans knew undoubtedly without a question. And Dave Carney and I, when I joined him on his show last Friday, we laid these out. We made them clear. Things that we knew for certain after the Packers started 2-0. Number one, Aaron Rodgers is making the easy throws. He's hitting the bootlegs, the checkdowns, the easy slants, the easy crossers. When the easy throws are there, Aaron Rodgers is taking them. That was clear through the first two weeks. We knew that. We didn't need to see it again last night. That was proven. Another thing we noticed, this Packers offense is pitching complete games, right? Last year, we saw them start great and then die off. This year, through the first two weeks, they went wire to wire, scoring 40-plus points in both of their first two games. We knew that. We didn't need to see it last night. We knew that after two weeks that Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard had seemingly taken another step. They had both gotten better. Their connection with Aaron Rodgers has gotten tighter. And they look like a receiver that's taken a step in the right direction. We knew that. Didn't need to see it last night. And the final thing, I think, that we knew after the first two weeks was this Packers team is capable of putting up 40 on a so-so defense. On the Vikings, on the Lions. No more of that winning 21-14 to No winning 15-12. to This Packers team can put up points on a bad defense like we maybe didn't see last year against the Giants or the Washington football team, for example. This year, they go wire to wire and can put up 40 on bad defenses. We knew all of that. That was all clear. And all of those things are important. But there was one thing that we hadn't seen yet. And this is what I told Dave last Friday morning. I'm waiting until Sunday night. We did not know if they can win the big boy game. The big boy game. Last year, they didn't do it. They lost to the 49ers twice, once in the regular season and once in the NFC Championship game. They would have had an opportunity to get a big boy win in Kansas City, but Patrick Mahomes didn't play. They did beat the Vikings on Monday Night Football on, was that Christmas Eve or the 23rd, right around Christmas? But the Vikings were without both Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. So last year, the Packers had lots of pretty good wins, but I would argue and and feel pretty strongly that they didn't have a big boy win. They didn't win a huge uh, proven game. That's what they were lacking. And up through, you know, only the first two games, they were lacking it this year too. For example, last year, what, what does a big boy win mean? Last year in 2019, the 49ers won at New Orleans, 48 to 46. That's a big boy win. Then in week 17, they go to Seattle and they win 26-21. That's a big boy win. National audience, on the road, Crazy strong opponent with playoff ramifications. That's a big boy win. And that's something that the Packers didn't have last year. And they had not yet really had an opportunity to get this season until last night. Last night was a big boy win. I don't know what the exact criteria is for a big boy win. I'll work on it. Maybe I can can write it out and we'll, we'll get something in writing. But I think every Super Bowl team each year should have one. And, and if you look through the history of the last couple of years, I think every Super Bowl champ, you can find at least one big boy win on their regular season schedule. I just mentioned a couple from the 49ers season last, uh, or yeah, from last year. Let's go back even a couple more years. In 2018, when the Rams made the Super Bowl. Remember that Monday night game against Kansas City where they won 40 or 54, 51? One of the craziest football games I've ever watched. That was a big boy win on national TV on Monday night. 
Go back another year. In 2017, when the Eagles made the Super Bowl against the Patriots and they ended up winning, they beat the Rams on what I believe was a Sunday afternoon game, a 3 o'clock game. They beat the Rams 43-35. to That was the game that Carson Wentz blew up his knee. That's a big boy win. Let's use a Packers example. Go back to 2014, which for all intents and purposes of this conversation, we can refer to the 2014 Packers as a Super Bowl team. They were one botched onside kick away from making it. In 2014, the Packers got a big boy win over the Patriots. It was that 3.30 game, the Saturday or the Sunday after Thanksgiving on CBS, right? We all had to skip out on deer hunting to watch that game, and it was well worth it. That was a big boy game where Jordy Nelson busted that touchdown uh, against Darrell Revis right before halftime, and Mike Neal got that sack of Tom Brady towards the end. That was a big boy win. That was a big one. The Packers got a big boy win last night. Now, I'm not saying that last night indicates that the Packers are going to make the playoffs, win a Super Bowl. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that last night's win was something that the Packers didn't have last year, going on the road and beating another elite contending team. Yeah, there was no home crowd. Yeah, they didn't have the, the crazy fans in the Superdome. Well, they, didn't, they had the crazy fans in the Superdome last year in the postseason, and Drew Brees and company lost to Kirk Cousins anyways. So I don't want to hear about the fans, right? My Bucks lost in the NBA playoffs, and I was told that everybody's playing by the same rules. Home court advantage doesn't matter. Okay, okay. if we're going to say that, we got to apply that logic to this. Packers got a big boy win last night. Now that we have a little bit better sample size, three full games, including one opponent that I think is so-so in the Lions, another opponent that I don't think is very good in the Vikings, an opponent that I think is pretty good in the Saints. We have a little bit better sample size. Let's put this win and this 3-0 start into perspective a little bit. I did so much research last night, just combing through statistics, combing through Twitter, doing reading, trying to find stats and benchmarks to put this start into perspective because I don't really know if Packers fans understand how impressive this has been. 3-0, yeah, beat a couple of of uh, two division rivals, Andrew Brees, that feels good, but this statistical start, especially this offensive start for the Packers, has been really, really, really strong. The Packers are the first team in NFL history with 35 points and zero turnovers in each of their first three games. Aaron Rodgers has 121.1 passer rating through three games. He is 71 of 106, which is 67%, for 887 yards, nine touchdowns, and zero turnovers. Talking about interceptions or fumbles. He's the first quarterback in NFL history with at least nine passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, and less than two sacks through three games. I saw an interesting stat today from Pro Football Focus um, that indicated that the Packers offensive line has not surrendered a quarterback hit or a sack this year. Meaning that in the instances that Aaron Rodgers has been sacked, it was not the fault of the offensive line. I think you can make a strong argument last night and pro football focus would agree that the one sack that Aaron Rodgers took, not the offensive line fault. That was on Rodgers trying to backpedal, trying to do something that maybe he could have pulled off six or seven years ago, probably not anymore. The offensive line, despite the injuries they've suffered, have kept Aaron Rodgers upright, have kept him healthy, and have given him time to deliver the ball on time and on target. 71 of 106 for 67% through the first three games, 887 yards, nine touchdowns, and zero, zero turnovers, interceptions, or fumbles. That's a clean, effective, efficient start. And I, I believe the point total through three games is sixth most in NFL history. I don't have that in front of me. I, I don't find any of these numbers to be all that entirely important. I don't think any of these numbers indicate what is to come for the Packers. I don't think any of these numbers indicate that the Packers have a better chance at a Super Bowl or winning the division or anything like that. I just think we need to understand 
they've had a pretty good three games to begin, and it's been fun to watch. And in 2020, I not to make everything about the real world and to try to put everything into perspective, but in 2020, I'm just having a blast watching this team right now. I'm just having fun tuning in every weekend. We'll worry about down the road when we get down the road, but through three games, this team has looked historically great, especially by franchise standards, and Aaron Rodgers seems to have discovered something. We'll talk more about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, well, let's let's do Aaron Rodgers right now because I think the narrative surrounding Aaron Rodgers is really interesting. Let's do Rodgers, and then we'll take a break. A lot of people want to say that this start for Aaron Rodgers and, and how effective he's been, it's because he's seeking revenge or he's discovered the fountain of youth. He's playing angry. He's playing to spite his team. We're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers coming up at 530. Uh, he doesn't sound like he's angry or revengeful or spiteful about anything, first of all. It's, it's, it's not that Aaron Rodgers is playing mad. It's not that he's discovered the fountain of youth. He's playing within structure and he's doing the easy things. He's not holding on to the ball. He's not throwing the ball away as often. That, that's the thing. Through three games, how many wasted offensive plays have the Packers had? Not very many. There have been a couple throwaways here and there, and that's a big part in avoiding turnovers. Don't get me wrong. A couple of throwaways here and there are healthy. But the last couple of years, it got to the point where Aaron Rodgers felt like he was throwing the ball away every third or fourth play. You just can't have that. You can't leave easy yards on the field. Then you're in third and long situations, and you got to pump the ball away, and the offense isn't as effective. There's been very few throwaways, very few wasted plays this year. That's because Aaron Rodgers is doing the easy things. He's playing within structure, and he's hitting the bootlegs. He's hitting the crossers, hitting the slants. The easy throws that, for whatever reason, towards the end of McCarthy's tenure, and even a little bit last or last year, too, he was turning down those easy throws, looking for something else. And I think Aaron Rodgers has started to buy in to this offense. Well, I don't think. I know he's started to buy into this offense. And if you've watched his postgame presser, of which we'll check out a little bit coming up after 5 o'clock. You know that he's buying in, and he loves playing right now the way that Matt LaFleur is calling things and the way that he's setting up the offense every week. It's not revenge. It's not anger. It's not some magical supplement or fountain of youth. He's just doing the easy things. He's playing within an offense, and this offense is working really, really well for Rodgers and the personnel that they have. He's checking all of the boxes, including last night not running the play clock down to zero every single play. That's something I don't care a lot about, but I've seen lots of Packers fans last year and this year saying we're wasting timeouts, don't snap the ball with one second left, and look, I think the Packers had bigger fish to fry than running the play clock down to zero seconds, but for those of you who are sticklers, and for those of you who, who were losing sleep at night over the play clock, winding down to one or zero every single play, last night they took a step in the right direction. I saw Aaron Rodgers getting into his cadence with 15, 14 seconds left on the play clock which gives them a little bit more flexibility to audible and even sucker defensive players into some offsides penalties, of which you saw a couple last night. Aaron Rodgers haters, and we're all Aaron Rodgers fans because we're Packer fans, but Packer fans who've been a little bit frustrated with Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what you have to complain about the first couple of weeks. And that's pretty cool because I didn't know if we'd ever get back to that point. I thought Aaron Rodgers in his old age had turned into a stickler who's going to take a lot of sacks, throw the ball away a lot. And he's been able to tweak and evolve his game in year two under Matt LaFleur. And that's pretty exciting. And it's been really, really fun to watch. The number to reach me if you want to join the show. Get your pen and paper ready. Get your phone out. And of course, it's always available at WK2iSports.com if you forget it. 608-796-2558. That's the talk and text line. I want to talk about the offense coming up. Not just Aaron Rodgers, not just Matt LaFleur, but 
everybody else and a couple big performers and performances that made the Packers win possible last night. And then we'll get into the defense coming up at 4.30 as well, because I know this team is far from flawless. And I know they have issues. They have things to iron out. In fact, Matt LaFleur said it himself. I played it in the open. I want to celebrate today. I want to enjoy today. We'll, we'll get to the critiques. We'll get to the things they need to improve upon. But let's celebrate a little bit and talk about this offense coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show presented by the Eagle's Nest, presented by Dark Fox Enterprises. Back in a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. Packers big winners over the Saints last night on Sunday Night Football. Vikings go to 0-3, Bears go to 3-0. We'll get to those teams before 6 o'clock. We're talking a lot of Packers, and maybe, just maybe, we'll make a little time for the playoff-bound Milwaukee Brewers. Third year in a row. Yeah, they're two games under 500. Yeah, it's a weird season, but still an achievement nonetheless. It's the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Dark Fox Enterprises and, of course, the Eagles Nest. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope your week is off to an awesome start. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the Packers' 37-30 win over the New Orleans Saints last night. Aaron Rodgers was great. Matt LaFleur was great. Yeah, the defense needs to be a little better. Alvin Kamara was great. We know the storylines, right? We know the obvious things. Let's dig a little bit deeper into exactly what made the Packers offense kick last night. And they were able to put up 37 points against, sure, maybe not the best defense in the league, but certainly a defense that's better than what Detroit and Minnesota has to offer. Now, I don't want to pat myself on the back take a victory lap. That's obnoxious. It's not my thing. But every once in a while, I have to do it. Uh, A big key for the Packers last night was the tight ends. They had nine receptions on 10 targets between Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger, and Robert Tanyan. And once again, I don't want to say I told you so or take a victory lap, but I, I, I I did hint at this last week pretty clearly, pretty explicitly. And you know what? I actually, just to make sure, I went back and I found the audio. This is from last Thursday's show. Here you go. If Devontae Adams is not able to play... I actually think the game plan for LaFleur is, is quite clear. If Devontae Adams can't play, then Matt LaFleur needs to deploy the tight ends. And you might be asking, Grant, which tight end? And I would answer, yes. <laughs> every single one on every single play. All the tight ends on all the plays. LaFleur needs to use every single tight end look and option and package that he can possibly conceive. Because I think that's how you beat the Saints defense. Well, 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 well. Yeah, that was from last Thursday's show. I don't bet sports. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't like betting scores. I like thinking about strategy, right? I, and I thought it was pretty clear, especially after Monday night's game last week where Darren Waller just had a field day. I don't know off the top of my head, but if I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 12 catches on like 16 or 15 targets. If the ball was going his way, chances are it was getting caught. The Saints really didn't have an answer for him. Now, I don't think Sternberger, Mercedes Lewis, or... Robert Tanya, I don't think any of those guys are as good as Darren Waller, but strategically and schematically, it made sense to involve all three of those guys in the game, and Matt LaFleur did a really good job of that. Now, did I just play that to pat myself on the back? Maybe, maybe, but that was a big key to the game last night. That was a huge key, were the tight ends. I don't actually want to talk about the tight ends a whole lot. Like I said, I just wanted to pat myself very quickly on the back. I want to talk about the offense and specifically one player who made a huge, huge difference last night. Let's start back with last year, and we'll fast forward to now, and I think that will help us better understand. Last year, as we talked about, the offense showed flashes, right? Here and there, they looked great. But by and large, it was mostly inconsistent, right? They could be great in the first quarter, 
But by the time the second half and the fourth quarter rolled around, the defense was clinging to a lead and the offense really could do nothing. Now, as we've talked about through three games so far this year, counting last night, this offense seems to have taken a big step in the right direction. They're averaging 40.7 points per game after dropping 40 plus the first two weeks and 37 last night. They have no turnovers on the season. Knock on wood, that continues. They've only gone three and out one time. They have seven drives of 10 or more plays, and they have seven drives that have taken five or more minutes. One of the biggest changes in the offense from last year to this year, however, is the obvious change in third down conversion. It's been a huge change. Last year, 37.6%, and this year, they're now sitting at 50%. And Matt LaFleur even had to mention that in his press conference last night. The big emphasis going into this season was our third down conversions. And, and we've been so much better on third down. And again, that's a credit to our guys because, um, you know, there, there's certain times where we jump the ball and, and we put kind of the, the play call in our quarterback's hands and he gets us in, into the right looks. So uh, that, that's a credit to all our guys. Third down conversion was an emphasis. Last year, 37%. This year, 50%. It's just one piece of an offense that has become more consistent and an offense that scored 37 last night. I want to talk about Alan Lazard because Alan Lazard is a huge reason for the consistency of this offense and it was on full display last night. That's not to say that Alan Lazard was only good last night and so-so in the first two games. We were just able to see it last night with no Devontae Adams and with MVS getting a lot of attention. We could see clear as day Alan Lazard and the steps that he has made as a wide receiver. Specifically, two skills that were on display last night from Alan Lazard that will be huge for this team moving forward, whether or not Devontae Adams plays, whether or not Aaron Jones is, is a superstar with, you know, 150 yards per game. These skills will be huge for this team, no matter what's going on with the rest of the offense. Number one, let's talk about the red zone. I said two weeks ago after the opener, that the red zone is where players become more important than scheme. Scheme and play call is important, but when you get in a compressed space in the end zone where there's uh, not a lot of room to move, not a lot of room to navigate, it becomes harder to scheme guys open, it becomes about the players individually winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups a lot more than it you know, is about Matt LaFleur out-scheming you know, the defensive coordinator on the other sideline. I, I compared it to the NBA playoffs. In the regular season, you can have a great scheme, you can run great plays and, and, and you know, have a great system and win a lot of games. And we've seen that with the Milwaukee Bucks. But when you get into the postseason, everything tightens up. Nothing comes easy. It's more physical. Then it becomes about individual players making individual plays. And I think from the 20 to the 20, that's the NBA regular season. And then when you get in the red zone, then it's the playoffs and everybody buckles down. It becomes more about players than it does about scheme. And last night, before Alan Lazard caught a touchdown, they tried to give it to Aaron Jones. Malcolm Jenkins explodes through the line and stuffs Jones right there. That's an example of an individual player, Malcolm Jenkins, making an individual play. Now on the next play, Aaron Rodgers rolls to his right, finds Alan Lazard. I think the red zone is where you let Aaron Rodgers be Aaron Rodgers. The red zone is where you can let Aaron Rodgers improvise a little bit, get creative, go off the cuff, do some scrambling. Not, not too much, and you still want the foundation of a great play and a great scheme and a great package, but the red zone is where you got to let Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams kind of do their thing. However, last night, Devontae Adams wasn't in the game, so what happens? They go to Alan Lazard, and what I noticed last night, Alan Lazard and Devontae, or Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, they kind of have a little bit of that unspoken connection. 
where Aaron Rodgers is rolling to his right, maybe do a little point, little nod with his head, and Al Lazard knows to go to the boundary, and Aaron Rodgers is going to give him a chance. That's not something that they had last year with anybody else other than Devontae Adams. This year, Rodgers might have a second dude to go to in the end zone, assuming Adams gets healthy. He might have a second dude to go to in the end zone where you can do a little wink and a nod, a little unspoken thing. That's really, really, really important. Because last year, Devontae Adams was the only guy that Aaron Rodgers had that connection with. This year, it seems as though he's developing that connection with Al Lazard, and that is so, so valuable. When you get in the red zone and the defenders are really, really digging deep and individual players really start to shine, that's where they need their individuals, Rodgers and Lazard, to make a play. Lazard's success in the red zone last night is so important, and it's going to continue to be important moving forward. Red zone, that's skill number one. Skill number two, the deep ball. Where did this come from? Alan Lazard isn't exactly a speedster, at least not like Marquez Valdez scaling. I didn't know Lazard had it in him, and maybe I doubted him. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But it's funny. I I was looking at Pro Football Focus last night. Leaders in receptions on yards on throws of 15-plus yards in the air. And I think I botched that. Put it cleanly. These are the receivers that had the most yards on throws that traveled 15-plus yards in the air. Number four, the Vikings' Justin Jefferson. He had 102. Calvin Ridley had 103. Khalif Raymond had 105. And number one in week three, not counting tonight, is Alan Lazard with 120. I didn't know he had it in him. Lazard only had two plays of more than 35 yards in all of 2019. And I know he got a late start. He really didn't become a strong contributor until the Detroit game. But Lazard only had two plays more than 35 yards last year. And last night, he's going deep multiple times and connecting. On the first drive, where the Packers kind of meandered their way down, kicked a field goal, I wrote myself a note, and I said, you're going to have to find a way to create big plays even without Devontae Adams, because you just can't hang with the Saints dinking and dunking your way down the field with bootlegs and crossers going three and four yards at a time. You can do crossers, you can do bootlegs, but you need to mix in a shot and a deep play here and there. Otherwise, you just can't keep up with the Saints. And they found it in Alan Lazard, and I I didn't expect that. I don't know if a lot of Packers fans expected that, but between Alan Lazard's success in the red zone and through the deep ball, Two really important skill sets that the Packers are no doubt going to utilize moving forward to just make their offense that more effective and that much more uh, consistent, right? That way the offense isn't coming and going by drive by drive and game by game. Also, small side note before we move on, I don't like pigeonholing wide receivers. I don't like Marquez Valdez-Scantling only being a deep threat and Devontae Adams only being a slot guy that runs great routes and Alan Lazard only being the slants guy. I'd like to see more deep shots to Lazard, and I'd like to see them bring MVS in and do some more intermediate stuff. I think of the play that they had against the Raiders last year, where Valdez Scantling caught the ball right on the line of scrimmage and just turned and burned, right? A speedster doesn't only have to be used in deep throws. I think what Matt LaFleur should do, and it would be really useful, to go back and look at how Andy Reid used Tyreek Hill when Matt Moore was the quarterback last year. The the unique and creative ways that they got Tyreek Hill the ball that didn't require a quarterback to throw the ball 60 yards down the field. Because I think if you bring MVS in, he can be more effective. And if, as we saw last night, you push Alan Lazard out, you can be more effective. And then, of course, mix in Devontae Adams, who does a little bit of everything. And now all of a sudden, people aren't talking about the wide receivers in the draft so much because you got three dudes who can do a little bit of everything. Very, very promising last night. I want to talk about the defense when we come back really quickly. Breaking news, Doc Rivers just got canned. I guess it's not shocking considering 
they failed to make the conference finals, but still a little bit surprising. Doc Rivers out as the Clippers head coach. I wonder if they go with Ty Lue. Maybe they go with an outside hire. I'm I'm not sure. Former player. I know Sam Cassell is somebody that gets a lot of attention. So is Ty Lue. A little bit surprising, but I guess not entirely shocking given the result that we saw this year. All right, let's continue to talk about the Packers. Who cares about the Clippers? They lost in the second round. We're going to talk Packers specifically about the defense. We're going to get a little more critical coming up. So you have something to complain about, something to whine about. 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text. Let me know. And we'll discuss coming up next year on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. This hour of the show brought to you by Dark Fox Enterprises and, of course, by the Eagle's Nest as well. We're talking about the Packers winning yesterday, or I guess last night on Sunday Night Football, 37-30 to over the New Orleans Saints. I said to begin the show, that's a big boy win. That's the kind of win that the Packers didn't have last year. They had a chance to get a big boy win at San Francisco, and they got blown out. They probably would have had a chance to get a big boy win had Patrick Mahomes played on that night where they played Kansas City, but they went up against Matt Moore, so it was just a pretty good win, not a big boy win. If you're going to make a Super Bowl, you can look back in the last five or six years, even back to 2014 with the Packers, and you can find one big boy win for every one of these Super Bowl teams. I I think the Packers got one last night. That bodes well. I'm not saying the Packers are going to make the Super Bowl. I'm saying they got a win last night that we haven't seen them get uh, probably since 2014 or 2016 which bodes really, really well for the quality of this team. It has nothing to do with making a Super Bowl or not, but it bodes well for the quality of this team. It was interesting last night. We haven't touched on the defense yet. We've just been kind of rolling in the sunshine and daisies until now, but we're 35 minutes in. I think we can finally do it. Let's talk about the defense because they did give up 30 points and they were pretty hapless to stop Alvin Kamara. Through the first three quarters last night, and I was on Twitter and you know reading what people were saying, Every Packer fan was ready to quit because of the defense. Like, everybody had a gun to their head. I'm like, I swear, Mike Pettin, I'm done. I'm over this team. It's the same old, same old. Okay, maybe that's the case. Maybe the Packers get blown out in the playoffs because their defense sucks. But I, for my health and for yours, we need to learn not to overreact to every little play, every missed tackle, every penalty, or every mistake. There's four quarters in every game. There's 16 games in a regular season and a bye. We got a long way to go here. Every little play is not an indictment on Mike Pettin's defense. Every penalty is not an indictment on a specific player. Take a deep breath. Watch the full game. And then we can talk about it. And then we can judge it a little bit. Now, if you want to take notes about stuff that really made you mad so we can come back to it later, all right, cool. But don't react in the moment because you end up saying dumb stuff, right? I did that last night, except I was doing it texting my buddies, not putting it on Twitter for (laughs) for the world to read. Thank God. Look, don't be mad that the Saints scored 30 points. They have a good offense. They were at home. Sean Payton is one of the best play callers and best offensive minds that we've seen the last 20 years. Don't be mad they scored 30. Don't be mad that Alvin Kamara went off. Alvin Kamara is amazing. He's going to get his. He's going to get his yards both on the ground and through the air, and he's going to score touchdowns. Don't be mad about that. I'm not mad about that. I'm mad about the defense today, but for the same reason I was mad after both week one and week two. Not to pat myself on the back, that's not why I'm here today, although I'm doing it a couple of times so far. We're not even an hour into the show. I think I kind of nailed it after week one and week two, and now I'm going to nail it after week three because it's something that I see game after game, week after week in this very young season. Mike Pettin needs to be better situationally. 
This is where the NFL is headed defensively. Gone are the days of the 85 Bears where you're forcing 10 punts a game and you're forcing punt after punt after punt. Your defense is just stonewalling dudes. That's not how the NFL works anymore. That's not how it's officiated. That's not how the rules are set up. It's really, really hard for defenses to get routine stops and force punt after punt after punt. It's not how the game works. So instead, what defensive coordinators have started to do, and I think this really became clear uh, a couple of years ago with Wade Phillips and the Rams, what defensive coordinators have started to do, there's like, we're not going to worry about forcing punts. We're going to try to force a couple of turnovers, and we're going to try to capitalize on a sack here and there, and we're going to try to capitalize on a penalty. Meaning, if we get a holding penalty, and now we got a team in second and 20, all right, pounce. That's our opportunity to force a punt. If we get a sack, and we get a team in second and 18, okay, there's an opportunity to force a punt. Otherwise, we're trying for interceptions, we're trying to force fumbles, we're trying to create big disruptive plays, and we're trying to stop teams in the red zone. Other than that, offenses are going to move the ball. That's just the nature of the game. So it's very, very important these days for defensive coordinators and the defenses that they coordinate to be good situationally. In the red zone, the the end of halves, right? When they have an opportunity to make a turnover, you got to take it, right? That's what I'm talking about situationally. A couple examples so far of this young season through three weeks of where Mike Pettin and company have just been terrible situationally. Through three games, the Packers have allowed end-of-half scoring drives in each game. Against the Vikings, they gave up that field goal. Against the Lions, they gave up a score. And then last night, they gave up a touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders with, what, like 10 seconds on the clock? Now, every once in a while, that's going to happen. You can't stuff a team just because it's the final minute of the half. That's not what I'm saying. But in the case of week one, Minnesota didn't even want to move the ball. They wanted to go into halftime. And the Packers just rolled out the red carpet for them to drive down and get a field goal. I would wager that New Orleans really wasn't even looking to score last night either. They were moving real slowly. They didn't look to be in a hurry. But then the Packers gave up a couple of plays and Sean Payton goes, okay, here we go. Let's call a timeout and see if we can't get a score. They need to be better at the end of halves, especially when the Vikings are like, hey, let's hand it off once. If we don't get anything, we'll just kneel it down. We'll go into half. And, and the Packers defense is like, no, 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 no. Go ahead, please kick a field goal, right? That's, that's poor situational football. Another example, let's go back to the Vikings game. The Packers are up 29 to 10, and they gave up fourth quarter drives that took a minute 16, two minutes and seven seconds, and a minute and 58 seconds. Come on. The one job in that game in the, in the fourth quarter, up 19 points, was just to slow the Vikings down. Just slow them down. You can let them score. You can let them score on every single possession they get the ball. Give them a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Doesn't matter. But you can't let them score in a minute or two minutes. And that's what they did. Three drives in a row. Terrible situational defense. Another example, last night. And this is what I'm upset about. Camaro wasn't on the scouting report last night for the Packers. He was the scouting report. He's the one dude that you build your game plan around. He had 139 receiving yards. Now, once again, Alvin Kamara is going to get his. You can't completely shut him down. That's just not realistic. That's not what I'm mad about. I'm mad that it looked so easy and that it took such little effort. He consistently had opportunities 1v1 in space with dudes like Will Redmond, Chris Barnes, and Ty Summers. I like Chris Barnes. He's been a great story. But Mike Pettin, why are you allowing... Chris Barnes to be the one line of defense against possibly the best running back in the league and the only one consistent solid offensive weapon the Saints have. 
You cannot let that happen. Will Redmond last night gave up, what, 90%, uh, not 90%, but a solid percentage of the yards that Alvin Kamara got were on two missed Will Redmond tackles. And I don't know the numbers. I'll look it up over the break, and, and maybe I can remind you on the other side after I remind myself. Alvin Kamara is going to get his, but it's on Mike Pettin to make sure that if he's going to beat you, he's going to beat you, meaning he beats double teams. There's a dude spying him on every play, and that the one line of defense in between Alvin Kamara and the red zone isn't Will Redmond. This is why I love Craig Council. Craig Council would never allow this to happen, because if you're going to beat Craig Council and the Brewers, you got to go through Josh Hader. Right, you got to go through Corey Knable. You got to go through that bullpen. And if you got to beat this Brewers offense, Craig Council is going to go everything at the wall and see what sticks. And if you beat Craig Council and the Brewers, every option was exhausted. Every player was exhausted. And every pitcher was bested. That's how you beat the Brewers. Last night, Mike Pettin's like, eh, we'll see. It. We'll, we'll see. Will Redmond versus Alvin Kamara in space? Yeah, I'll take that matchup. Football coaches are so unbelievably stubborn. And I don't know this for a fact, but I can only assume this and make an educated guess after a lifetime of watching football. I think football coaches truly believe that it's a sign of weakness to double-team someone. Like, it's personal. Mike Patton came into a game like last night thinking, hey, we're going to come in, we're going to play our game. Doesn't matter what they do, we're going to play our game, and we're going to execute better, and we're going to outplay them doing what we do. Hey, Mike Patton, newsflash. It's not a sign of weakness to double-team a player. It's a sign of respect, and a defense should look different every week based on the team that you're playing. And I don't understand why this is so difficult for football coaches to figure out. The defense against the Vikings should look different as it looked against the Lions. And then it should look different when you play the Saints because all three of those teams run different offenses and have different strengths and weaknesses. And if you're running the same defense out there and just saying, hey, we got to execute, we got to do our thing. Well, your thing is a defense is to present the toughest matchup possible. And you can't do that if you're not evolving and changing every week. Mike Pettin and his defense have been terrible situationally. Terrible. And that's something they need to improve. I said it the Monday after the first game. I said it the Monday after the Lions game. And we're talking about it again today. Now, all of this being said, I think the Packers' defense is good enough. It's not great. I think it's good enough. Just like the Chiefs' defense that won a Super Bowl last year was good enough. Last night, the Packers' defense forced three punts and three fumbles. That, that's enough. Like, that, that is enough to give Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and company a chance. Mike Pettin, however, needs to find every advantage. Every, how can we possibly throw everything at the wall to try to stop Alvin Kamara? I don't think he did that. Mike Pettin needs to stack every advantage for his team in his team's favor, and then the offense needs to help him out, too. Once again, back to situational football. I understand you can't force 10 punts a game. Last night, they forced three without a Zadarius Smith holding penalty that I still haven't seen a replay of. I don't know how you hold someone while rushing the passer. It might have been four. But they need to be better situationally. When they have an opportunity to capitalize on a penalty, on a sack, on an interception, which Jair had a shot at one last night, or shutting down a team at the end of half, you need to make the most of those opportunities. And I don't think the Packers defense has done that yet. I will wait. We'll watch again next Monday night, see if they can do it against the Falcons, a team that uh, has been known to make a mistake from, uh, from time to time. Uh, defensively, really quick, end with something positive, end with a smile. Kingsley Kiki made some plays last night, and a player that's been talked about a lot, hyped a lot. Yeah, he actually made a couple of plays. He had two sacks. Very impactful last night, and it was good to see what everybody's talking about finally show up on the field. That was exciting, and, and one bright spot in a position group that really doesn't have a bright spot. So situational football is terrible, but... We can smile about Kingsley Kiki. Something to smile about today. A little bit of positivity. 
Uh, I want to move away from the Packers for just a couple of minutes when we come back. I want to talk about the Chicago Bears. And if you listen to Dave Carney's show on WKTY this morning, you know that I am not particularly happy with the Chicago Bears as of right now. And I will tell you why coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show on the way. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Thanks to Dark Fox Enterprises and the Eagle's Nest for sponsoring the show. Uh, only a couple of days left. Get over to the Eagle's Nest on Campbell Road to take advantage of the 15% off they're willing to offer you. All you got to do is use promo code GRANT. So tell it to your server, your bartender. If you're ordering on the phone, make sure you drop the name. And if you're ordering online at ordereaglesnest.com, just type GRANT in the promo code box. Real simple. They do delivery and, of course, they do takeout. So if you're not comfortable going in and eating right now, I don't blame you. You have that option. You can still get the deal. Eagles Nest, Campbell Road. Get food for the game tonight. That's what I might do on my way home. Sounds simple, right? Sounds easy. Eagles Nest, Monday Night Football, they go very well together. We've been talking about the Packers, and I do want to get back to the Packers after 5 o'clock, but for the sake of fun, I, I, I want to take a quick break and talk about the Chicago Bears. I want to talk about the Bears. In 2019, last year, last season, Packers fans were told that their team is overrated. We were told that our team is the worst 13-3 and team ever. We were even called fraudulent. There's some, there's some emotion behind that word. You guys are fraudulent. You're frauds. Now, I thought that was harsh. Sure, the Packers underwhelmed against bad opponents. Fine, but a 13-3 and team calling them fraudulent? Here is the, uh, the famed... Pro Football Focus Forecast podcast clip uh, in which PFF Eric and PFF George just couldn't help themselves. This was right before the Packers-Seahawks playoff game. By the way, uh, they predicted the Seahawks to cover, which they did not, and they predicted the under, which did not hit. Um, So actually, nothing they talked about in this podcast came true. This is what got it all started, where fraudulent came from. How much better of a coach is Matt LaFleur than Schottenheimer slash... He's not. Okay. How much better are the receivers for Green Bay than Seattle? Okay, they're worse. Does defense matter? No. Okay, so... Aaron Rodgers is right now a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is not even better than Kirk Cousins right now. I agree. Unless unless you are Mike Renner, who thinks that Aaron Rodgers is going to put on Superman's cape and be amazing all of a sudden after being below average from a clean pocket all season... If unless you're Mike Renner, who's you know Green Bay Packers fan, <laughs> you and you live in reality, four is too many points. I agree, and the, I, the Green Bay Packers are the most fraudulent thirteen and three team you can possibly construct. Okay, okay. First of all, Matt Lafleur is worse than Brian Schottenheimer is an interesting take, um, given that Brian Schottenheimer is the dude that everybody has been yelling at for the last couple of years to let Russ cook. So I don't I don't know where that came from. First of all, by the way, I said they talked about the under and how that was going to hit, which it didn't. They also talked about how four points is too many. The Packers, I think, won by six. At least I checked. They were wrong about everything in there. The the main part that I want to talk about is the end, which is where George called the Packers a fraudulent, the most fraudulent 13-3 and team. Four is too many points. I agree. And The the Green Bay Packers are the most fraudulent 13-3 and team you can possibly construct. Okay, okay. I, I don't like the logic. I don't agree with this. But I don't make the rules. It'd be different if I did. I don't make the rules, but it would be different if I did. But these are the rules. This is the hand we were dealt. These are the guidelines, and I'm just here to oblige. I'm here to play by the rules. So Bears fans, let's do this. Rent is due. You are the worst 3-0 team ever constructed. 
You were the worst 3-0 team I've ever watched. You were the worst 3-0 football team that has ever existed, at least in my lifetime, that I have watched. You're fraudulent. Once again, I, I wish I didn't have to do this, but I didn't make the rules. These rules were made by other people last year. I'm just trying to follow the laws here. Just trying to follow the guidelines. Let's go through the season so far for the Chicago Bears, who are 3-0. Week one, the Bears beat the Lions in the middle of an 11-game losing streak. The Lions were up 23-6 without Kenny Galladay, and DeAndre Swift drops the game-winning touchdown. That was week one, where the Bears miraculously got that win. Week two, the Bears beat the Giants, and the only other quarterback that likes turnovers more than Mitch Trubisky does, that's Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has a turnover in 15 of his 16 career games, and in 11 of his 16 career games, he has two. He is addicted to fumbling like no other quarterback I have ever watched. After tonight's game, speaking of the teams in New York, of which the Giants are one, after tonight's game, the 17 teams, there are 17 teams in the league that will have scored more than the Jets and the Giants combined, of which the Packers, of course, are one. The Giants stink. And their quarterback stinks. But, you know, the Bears, yeah, you got to count the win. You can only play who's on your schedule. Right, right, sure, sure. Yep, got it. Yesterday. Let's talk about yesterday. Of course, the Bears-Falcons, which led the Bears to go to 3-0. The Bears had 10 penalties. They were 4 of 15 on third down. They lost their best running back, Tariq Cohen, who's out for the year. They trailed by 16 points with 624 remaining. The Falcons blew yesterday's game in which they had a win probability of 99%. After they literally did the same thing last week. And I don't mean like, oh, they blew it. Like they blew it. No, they literally lost last week's game as well against the Cowboys after having a win probability of north of 99%. Matt Ryan is a bum who may be even more boring to watch than Drew Brees. He missed three or four. Like Calvin Ridley should demand a trade. He should have had two or three more touchdowns yesterday. But Matt Ryan just loves throwing the ball out of bounds and six yards over his receiver's head. Yes, but I'm sure the Falcons will rally around Dan Quinn in week 12 when they're out of the playoff picture and all the Atlanta fans will feel great. And, oh, next year will be the year that we don't blow leads and we don't blow a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. The Chicago Bears are the worst 3-0 team ever constructed. They are fraudulent. They are overrated. And NFL fans who think they are good are being hijinxed. They're being hoodwinked. They're being fooled, bamboozled. Bears, you suck, and how you have a 3-0 record astounds me, and I've watched all three games. I can't wrap my mind around it, and yeah, Nick Foles came in yesterday, immediately throws an interception. You have Nick Foles when you could have had Cam Newton, and I understand the timing and the context matters here because Cam Newton wasn't a free agent at the time. He had not yet been cut, but you're paying millions and millions of dollars to Nick Foles, and you, you could have paid that to a league MVP had you just traded him from Carolina, and you already have no aversion to trades because you blew all your first-rounders on Khalil Mack, who, outside of one game against the Packers when Aaron Rodgers was injured, really hasn't had a huge impact. Frauds. Once again, I look, 3-0 is 3-0, but the rules were made last year, not by me. This would be different if I made the rules. I was told that the 13-3 and Packers were fraudulent, overrated, fake, that they were bad. So I, I'm just, I'm trying to play by the rules that have been handed down by football fans much smarter than I at Pro Football Focus. Bears, you're overrated, you suck, and yesterday you made me sick watching you. I was trying to eat, I went to Linda's Bakery in West Salem, I got some delicious caramel rolls, I'm just trying to eat these delicious baked goods that I got up early to go get before the game, and I could barely get them down, because watching Mitch Trubisky and Matt Ryan trade overthrows 
and trade passes that are flying out of bounds when they have Calvin Ridley and Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller running wide open. It just, I, I couldn't do it. It unsettled my stomach and I couldn't even eat the delicious fresh baked goods that I drove 25 minutes to buy. And that's, and that's a shame. Bears fans, your team stinks, and I don't want a single one of you calling into the show or getting in my mentions and saying, well, you can only play the teams that are in front of you, and, well, you, you win is a win is a win, and you got to find a way to win. Shut up! It's the same stuff I told you last year, and none of you had it. Called my team a fraud. So rent is due. Your team sucks, and I don't want to hear about it, and I hope I don't have to watch you next week because it's a tough watch. Boring team with a bad quarterback. All right, let's take a break. Packers talk coming up next. We'll get into the Vikings. We'll get into the Brewers as well. We got to take a break. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host, Appreciate you tuning in and hanging out. I hope your week is off to a good start. Packers fans, it's a little bit easier to get up and face the music of the week knowing that your team is 3-0 and they got a win for the whole country to see on Sunday Night Football in primetime last night. Bears fans, I don't care what you think. Your team's full of you-know-what and they don't deserve to be 3-0. Vikings fans, I want to speak with you. I want to have a conversation with you. And I'm not going to rip your team because I think they're better than their record would indicate. Let's have a conversation. 608 796-2558. That's the talk and text line. We're going to talk about the Brewers for the final segment of the show, which will be up here in about 10 or 12 minutes. I have no clue what to say about this Brewers team. I've said it all. So if you have anything to say, just get ready to call, get ready to text. Because I, I, I think I've said everything there is to say about the Brewers. But I do have that time blocked off for the Brewers. So we'll figure something out <laughs> coming up in about 10 minutes. Their first playoff game is going to be Wednesday night against the Dodgers. So I guess I got to figure out what I'm going to say. But if you could make my life easy and shoot me a text. Let me know what you think. Give me something to play off of. 608-796-2558. That's the talk and text line. Thanks to the Eagle's Nest. You can get 15% off right now by just using promo code GRANT. Dine in, take out, or getting delivery. Just use promo code GRANT when you check out, whether you tell it to your bartender or server, say it over the phone, or type it in at ordereaglesnest.com. Just a couple of days left to take advantage of that deal. Tonight would be a great opportunity. Maybe the best Monday night football game of the year. Maybe the best game of the year, Ravens and Chiefs. Tonight, so stop by on your way home from work, save 15%. Thanks to everybody at the Eagle's Nest for making that happen. I'm a big fan of that place. Let's talk about the Vikings. I hate the Bears. I think they're frauds. I think they're dumb for not getting Cam. If the Packers were called fraudulent last year, I don't know what that makes the Bears this year. But Vikings fans, I have good news. I don't think you are as bad as your 0-3 and record would indicate. Now... That doesn't spell good things for Mike Zimmer. This is going to be a pro-Viking segment. This isn't necessarily going to be a pro-Mike Zimmer segment. Because if your team is better than their record would indicate, then that's kind of an indictment on the coaches, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that Mike Zimmer should be fired. That's not what I'm saying. I think the Vikings are in a little bit of a retool or rebuild, depending on how bad you think they are. I don't think they're as miserable as everybody says. I think they need a little bit of an injection of talent, a little bit of a retool, between their secondary and their defensive line. However, their offensive line might, it might be really bad, especially their interior line. So if that's the case, and it looks like none of their draft picks on the defensive line are panning out, well, then maybe they need a full rebuild. As it stands right now, they need to wait for their secondary to mature, their defensive line to come together. Teams have weaknesses, right? The Vikings are not exempt. exempt. So I'm, I'm not saying that they need to tear it all down. If their offensive line looks maybe as bad as it it is looking to shape up to be, then maybe they tear it all down. But I I think they just need to retool. That doesn't spell great things for Mike Zimmer because typically if you're rebuilding, you change coaches. 
And typically, if the team is better than the record would indicate, you that's a coaching issue, right? That's an organization issue, not a player issue. A bit of advice as we talk about the Vikings and yesterday's game, we got to cool it with Kirk Cousins. We have to cool it with Kirk Cousins. And every fan base is a is a perpetrator of this in one way or another. Not always towards a quarterback, but towards some entity or player or thing on their team. They're, Mr. Overreaction, Mr. and Mrs. Overreaction every time. We got to cool it with Kirk Cousins. Fans do this to themselves. When Kirk Cousins makes a great throw and when he has a great game, everybody wants to make him a part of the MVP conversation. I remember that happened last year down the stretch. When he plays bad, then we want to cut him, right? Last Tuesday, we were talking about tanking for Trevor Lawrence or trading for Jameis Winston. And yesterday during the game, we did a complete 180. It's like, hey, Kirk's figured it out. No, he hasn't. Like, chill. He's a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and fans are going to drive themselves crazy going back and forth and back and forth and overreacting to every interception and overreacting to every great touchdown throw. Cool it. Just try to ride the middle of the road with Kirk Cousins. Your, your mental health will be a lot better for it. And I, there's a hilarious example of this in the game yesterday, in the middle of the game on the broadcast. Coming out of halftime, the sideline reporter for CBS is saying, oh, I talked to Mike Zimmer at halftime. He said, and the Vikings were leading at the time, he said that this game is a lot more like us. This is who we are. This is how we want to play. And literally, as the sideline reporter is quoting Zimmer, Kirk Cousins throws a pick six. <laughs> now, it didn't count as a pick six because Jadavion Clowney was an idiot and committed a blindside block, quote-unquote, blindside block that has, you know, had nothing to do with the play. The, the play was going to score anyways, but it came back. It was just really funny that Mike Zimmer's like, hey, this is who we are. This is how we play as Kirk Cousins throws a pick six. Stop overreacting to Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. He's not amazing. He's not the worst quarterback in the league. He oftentimes, week to week, finds himself somewhere in the middle. And if you stop expecting him to be miserably bad and you stop expecting him to be an MVP, then you'll be at a lot better peace with yourself. You'll sleep better at night. It's just, we need to cool it with the Kirk Cousins stuff. Vikings fans, rule of thumb, as an outside objective observer, well, maybe not objective, but as an outside observer, the game can't come down to Kirk Cousins. It just can't. It's, you're not going to win. We, we can't do this three years from now saying, hey, Kirk Cousins finally has a chance to get that fourth quarter monkey off his back. No, that monkey's never coming off his back. That monkey has been chained, locked, tied, super glued to Kirk's back. It's not coming off. So stop expecting it to come off. They had a chance to drive for the lead yesterday. Kirk Cousins and his offense did. And this is what happened. Throw away on first down, a loss of six on second down, a throw away on third down, and an interception on third down, or fourth down. Stop expecting Kirk Cousins to finally show up and win you a game. Stop expecting him to take over in the fourth quarter and finally show up. It's not, it's not going to happen. Kirk Cousins has showed you for years and years and years the player that he is. Just believe him. Listen to him. Believe your eyes. And stop expecting him to be something better or worse than he is. If the game is coming down to Kirk Cousins, the game has been lost. Can we all agree on that? I think we. I think that's a fairly reasonable conclusion. The Vikings need a defense, a running back, a wide receiver, an offensive line, and a tight end that can elevate Kirk. Kirk was the final piece to the puzzle. He's not the building block that begins the team. So basically, the, the team in 2017 that had Case Keenum, that's the team that Kirk Cousins needs. The problem is it's really difficult to build a team like that when you're paying Kirk Cousins the amount of money you're paying him, especially when you're drafting in the middle to late rounds. There's no Anthony Barr type draft pick that's coming through that door. It, well, maybe this year, but not the last couple of years because the Packers and the Vikings haven't been drafting in the top 10. 
The Vikings need a team like they had in 2017 to build around Kirk Cousins, which was the idea in the first place. The problem was, once Kirk was brought on, the team got more and more watered down. They dealt with injuries. They dealt with other problems that allowed the team to kind of decay around Kirk Cousins. And now you're expecting Kirk to win you games? That ain't going to happen. It's just not. That's the reality. I accepted the reality with the Brewers weeks ago. And I suggest that Vikings fans, you do the same. Because most Vikings wins or losses under Kirk Cousins have gone the same way. Most Brewers games this year have gone the same way. Just accept the reality. We have this team figured out. We have a peg. Just accept it. You'll be, you'll be at peace with yourself. It's great. It's wonderful. Got to be more even keeled. Yesterday, Justin Jefferson is another amazing example. He had 175 yards and a touchdown. Looked legit. Looked really, really good. Looked like the first round player that they drafted from LSU. But in week one and week two, everybody wants to call him a bust. Well, where's Justin Jefferson been? Draft him in the first round. Got to be a contributor. Where has he been? Why, where are his targets? Right? And then after yesterday, everybody's taking a victory lap like he's the best wide receiver in the league. No, 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 no. Same with Kirk Cousins. Middle of the road. Calm your expectations. And this is what I have been saying all year long about rookie wide receivers. I've been a lot uh, wrong about a lot of stuff on this show. Not about the Brewers. I've been right about literally everything on that team all year long. I've made mistakes. This is something that I've had right for weeks. This is what I've been saying all year about rookie wide receivers. They come and go. They come one week, they'll be great. The next week, they'll be invisible. Now, last year, we may have had our perception tainted a little bit because last year was the outlier with Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin all being great, brilliant wide receivers in the first year. That never happens. That's such an outlier. It's It, it doesn't happen where wide receivers are great, solid, consistent contributors in their rookie year, game to game to game to game. Last year was the outlier. Take, yes, take last year out of it. Rookie wide receivers come and go like the breeze. It's what they do, and it's fine. That doesn't mean that Justin Jefferson sucks. It means he's a rookie. I'd wager that in the next couple of weeks, Justin Jefferson is going to be held to one or two catches and have very little impact. And it's not a Justin Jefferson thing. It's a rookie wide receiver thing. I'd think the same thing of CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Ayuk, who is great this weekend and will no doubt be silent in one of the next coming games. I'd say the same thing about Chase Claypool, the same thing about Henry Ruggs. Rookie wide receivers have a great game one week and then they disappear the next. Devontae Adams is the perfect example and Packers fans, you should know better than anyone. If you go back to 2014, Devontae Adams had issues with drops. He took his lumps early. He really had three great games and that was it. He had a great game against the Dolphins early on when he was the catcher or the receiver of that fake spike play. He was great against the Patriots in that classic game that I dubbed a big boy win on, earlier on today's show. And he was great against the Cowboys in the playoffs. That was it. Other than those games, he was by and large a rotation player that had relatively little impact. And so far through three weeks, Justin Jefferson in week one did nothing, in week two did nothing, and in week three was huge. That's the way it's going to go. That's the way it's going to go. With experience comes consistency. That, with wide receivers, that's what superstardom means. Meaning, with Devontae Adams, you know what he's going to bring every single week. With a guy like, I don't know, name any other great wide receiver. With a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, you know what you're going to get every week. With a player like Justin Jefferson, you'll get a flash of brilliance, as you did yesterday, but it's going to be accompanied by a couple of games where he doesn't really do a whole lot. Because that's what happens with rookie wide receivers, and that's why everybody needs to calm the hell down that the Packers didn't take one. You cannot expect a wide receiver to be a consistent week-in, week-out contributor their rookie year. Last year was the outlier with Metcalf and Debo Samuel. Forget about those guys. Rookie wide receivers take their lumps. They're great a couple of times, and then they disappear the rest of the year. So cool it with Justin Jefferson. Cool it with Kirk Cousins. Chances are the Vikings are going to win a few in the next coming weeks just because they're better than their record would indicate. Bears, 
man, the other shoe's going to drop. Bottom's going to fall out. Vikings, I, I think it's going to come back to the mean. But you got to calm down on Kirk Cousins. He's not an MVP. He's not the worst quarterback to ever live. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. Justin Jefferson is not a superstar. He's not a bust. He's a rookie. So ride the middle of the road, and we'll all be much calmer, much more balanced, much more mentally stable football fans because we're willing to accept that reality. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about the Brewers. I really don't have anything to say about them. So if you want to shoot me a text, 608-796-2558. Yeah, they made the postseason for the third straight year. Great. They're two games under 500, and I got to stay up until 11 p.m. to watch them on Wednesday night. Other than that, great. We'll talk about the Brewers making the postseason coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. I'm Grant Bills, and I want to tell you about my absolute favorite place, the Eagle's Nest. Have you ever been there? It's an awesome spot right over by UWL, and right